All right, welcome everybody. It's Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's, the second episode of this week, Sixers Beat Podcast, a part of the CLNS Media Network. Uh, how you doing, Rich? You just had to get in there that we've done we, two this week. Look, we, if we skipped a month, we got to brag that we do two in a week. Uh, <laughs> should not be the hardest bar to clear, but we, uh, it's a struggle for us sometimes. But yes. It is nice to, uh, nice to have someone to actually talk about rather than somebody to hypothetically talk about. Not quite as many um, actualized people to talk about as we would have expected coming in. Sixers start the night with five draft picks, end the night with probably one NBA contract and one two-way contract for their efforts. Um, but I think, by and large, walked away with the guy that, first of all, we expected they would walk away with, uh, which brings about some concern, but we'll get to that later. A- and also, um, you know, a, sh- a shooter who may end up being nothing more than Furkan Korkmaz, but at least is another body to throw in the G League. Not the most inspiring night at the office uh, from your from your 76ers, and we say that not knowing how Mr. Matisse Thibault is going to translate to the pros, but I, I do think that's kind of where you have to start. I, I mean, just because, we, again, we don't know how these picks are going to turn out, but just the... Uh, just how that first round pick unfolded and it seemed pretty clear that, that the Celtics kind of pulled the, the hinky on, uh, on the Sixers, sh- shaking them down for, uh, for their guy. And then, uh, and then all the, uh, the second round picks being sold was not, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not something we, uh, we know is going to to kill them in the long run, but I think you know it's something we talked about for so many years here. The the making moves on the margin and, and the process behind all of them they, they matter, and it didn't seem like that was a great night at all for the Sixers. Yeah, I guess let, let's start off with 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 Eibel himself, just as a player, just as what is being added to this team. Before we get into maybe the more negative aspects of the night, um, because I think those are two things how the Sixers got to where they are, and Matisse Teibel, which I have two pretty strong opinions on it, which is saying something. You know, I didn't I didn't have a great feel for this draft because, like we said earlier this week, I just haven't put as much time into it as I previously did. But this is one of the guys that, you know, in part because he's a four-year senior, but in part because I've just seen him play more often, you know, you have some pretty strong opinions on his game. And I like what they got. I think he should have been a target at 24. I think there are some other names thrown in there. Like, I don't think he was the only target or should have been the only target. But I think he is the type of player who will translate well. You know, I think defensively he is what the NBA is going towards in terms of he's six six, but he has a seven-foot wingspan. Real good physical tools to defend, you know, probably one through three in sort of like a Covington-esque way. You'd like to see him put on a little bit of weight and strength. But, you know, he has the length and the size and the quickness and the instincts to to defend multiple spots. And he's a real playmaker defensively. Like, he, he really has an instinct and an awareness and a quick twitch and a reaction where he can make a lot of plays both on and off the ball. And I think that's going to be very important for this team. I think they needed that skill set. I think the addition of him and Zaire should be, you know, it should help change the team. I how much it'll change the team in the playoffs depends on how quickly these guys can get up to speed. Um, but I think they both have games where they can make an impact. And whether that means a 10-minute-a-game impact or more, uh, we'll find out. 
but I certainly think they're skill sets the team needs. And I think they're two pieces that should be able to grow into contributors, which as we've talked about ad nauseum, the Sixers really need those young cost controlled contributors that they can slide in next to these, these max guys. So I think from that perspective, this was a good selection. You know, I think his shot, he only shot 30% from three. And I think that caused a lot of concern among Sixers fans and media who, who, who saw that number. It's not a good number. I agree with that. But I do think, you know, he was in the upper seventies and eighties his entire career at Washington. We're only talking about, you know, a sample of about a hundred free throws over free those throw four shooting. years. He didn't. Yeah. yeah. In free throw shooting. Yeah. You, it, did I say three point? He's definitely not an 80% three point shooter. I'd be no. making a much bigger deal about that if he were, but we're only talking about a hundred, a sample size is like a hundred, but it's, it's something to add to his shooting equation. Like I think it, it, it bodes well. And you know, he shot 38% over the previous two seasons from three. Like I think he's, I don't think he's a pure shooter. I think you're, we're going to look at his form and it's, it's not picture perfect. It's not textbook. I think there might be some concern about extending it out the extra couple of feet for the NBA three point line, but I don't think he's a non shooter either. And at 22 years old, I think he has enough to work with where you should be able to get him up to the point where he can have a catch and shoot three. And that's really all you're asking. Catching through three, get out in transition, cut off the ball and defend his ass off. And I think he can become that player. So just philosophically, what, what do you think? Because kind of leading up to the draft, Elton had said, we're likely going to target a skill set that can contribute right away. And it's the, he, he could have played the cards a little closer. Oh yeah, for, for sure. And we can, we can talk about that a little later, but now that they've made the pick, it does seem like it, it seems a lot like what they did with Landry Shamit last year where they said, all right, we think this guy is going to shoot at a really high level right away. They were correct about that. And he obviously was not a, a great defender in college. He wasn't a great defender in the pros, although, you know, go, going even past when the Sixers traded him, he, he did do, he was, he did better on that end than we probably thought. It, it seems to me like this is the opposite of, of that pick where they're saying, we think the defense is going to translate right away. Um, do you think, so I, I guess I would ask you, what, what do you think? And, and there might not have been an option for like a Shamit type shooter at that spot. Um, well, I mean, Carson Dil- Edwards. Well, and Dylan Windler is the other guy I was thinking yeah. of who was a really good shooter. So, so philosophically, do you, do you think there's a major difference by going after defense, especially somebody who, uh, who posted these unbelievable steal and block numbers in his own last year? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I think defense, his defense specifically at 22 and the way he gets about it, um, I think that can translate relatively quickly too. Like, I think there are two different profiles, two vastly different profiles, both of which can translate to some degree early on in their careers. So I think it's, it's similar in mindset, um, but different in execution and what you're looking for. But I don't, you know, I don't think there's you necessarily go about one or the other. Like I think they, first of all, I don't necessarily think that looking for contributors right away is, I don't think you want to get yourself locked into it. The thing is at 24 in a draft, which might only produce one or two all-star players, like I don't think it was necessarily realistic to target that. So I think it made sense to target somebody who could step in and fill a role right now. I don't have a problem with the way they went about either this draft or, cause you know, I think, I think they pivoted last year with, with Bridges and Zaire, um, getting somebody that's a little more upsidey. Like, I don't think, I hope they're not going to completely rule out drafts like last year as well, just because they're now in a, a position where they 
they need they need immediate contributors. But I also don't have a problem, especially in this draft, targeting an immediate contributor either. Yeah, the uh, it, it just seems like you know his big question is going to be how he can shoot, and I think 100%. we saw we saw in the last playoffs even kind of slightly below average shooters that can have a real negative effect on your uh on your offense you saw i mean it was the way the sixers guarded people too you know they they were helping off some of these raptors guys who were just in a funk like it was even um even the way mb guarded siakam in that series not really caring if he shot an above the break three it's you know and for somebody like thibel who does not project to be a a big creation guy i mean he scored nine points per game last year. So, you know, he's not, he does not seem like he has a lot in terms of, it seems like he knows how to make the extra pass and uh, is like a smart player in that regard, but not exactly breaking down people off the dribble by, uh, by any means. So that's going to be important. You know, can, can he make those threes right away? And uh, you know, the Sixers are going to be with, with a new shooting coach and and everything. They're going to need to figure that out. I, I will say I was really impressed with him as a kid. Uh, and I think this is kind of something we don't, uh, we don't see, but so much of draft work is interviewing their coaches, interviewing their teachers, interviewing their tutors, uh, their friends and trying to get a grasp on, uh, on who this, you know, player is as a person and how he would fit into a, a team's culture and, you know, interact with his, uh, his teammates, I got to be honest, I, I would Im- imagine he scored really high in that regard. And it's, you know, it, it's not even just the idea of being kind of a, a a good person. He seems mature as well, like not just in terms of being a player, but, you know, it's I would say the uh, the big difference would be Zaire seems like a really good kid, obviously, but he was 19 years old and, you know, you, you can tell that this kid went through four years of college and seems like he's he's ready to kind of step into an NBA rotation at least from a maturity standpoint. So that that seems like it was pretty important too for them. Yeah. Yeah, and he seems like a he does seem like a good kid. Uh seems like the stage isn't too big for him. And I I expect him to have a role pretty early here. I I do. And for all the reasons we said both his game translating well, um his maturity, his experience. I think I think Sixers fans will be happy with the selection. You know, I think some people are going to look at the bench and be like, all right, well, you got Zaire, you have, um, Thibel, you have hopefully Mike Scott, maybe James Ennis. Like, where's the scoring going to come from? And my answer to that's always going to be, well, look at how they stagger it. Like, you're Jimmy always going to have, yeah. <laughs> you're always going to have two of your top four on the court. Um, so you don't need a pure score. I mean, would it be great to have a Lou Williams? Sure. But you don't need a pure score off the bench right now. Um, they, they did need a lot of wing depth and shooting. And certainly I think, uh, in terms of wing defense, he can provide that shooting is he's like question mark. Um, but like I said, I don't think he's a non-shooter. So I think there's a base to work with. You just got to build him up. Shooting coach, uh, Hodges got to, got, got to earn his money. Got yep. to earn his money. The, uh, the picture, by the way, and, and shout out to the guy on Reddit who found it. The, uh, the picture of Hinky watching Fultz and, and Thibel is just kind of, sneakily in the background and it looks he's actually you know they can can see that he's looking at uh at Thibel that was just I mean obviously that doesn't mean anything but it was very funny uh so yeah I I was I I, I like the 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 player I it look it's it's kind of you know it, it's like we said that there's uh 
I should let you, you say this because, you know, kind of moving on, the, the way you kind of describe the percentage of hitting on a player, um, I, I, I get that. And th- there is certainly, you know, a high level uh, of not having an NBA contributor at, at this point in the draft or, or at least one that's ready to play, uh, n- next season. But, but for the guy they picked, I, it seems like a fine swing. Yeah. No, I have, I have very, very little complaint. About the about the 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 pick they ended up with, uh, were there other players in that range that I liked as well? Yeah, there were. Um, you know, especially the Celtics. Um, one after, or or I guess it's two after. Where they end up drafting, uh, twenty two. Grant Williams, I liked Grant Williams. Brandon Clark, right after two, I liked him. Um, so I think there are other options, and I think that's part of why you don't trade up from twenty four. And we'll get to that in a second. But I I you know. Thibel, I think is I think is a, a real good fit. Um, I think a lot of I, th- I think you're going to enjoy watching him play defense. I really do. Um, real good playmaker defensively. Any strong takes before we get into the asset management? Any strong takes on Mario Shyock? No, and I think this is part <laughs> of the the asset management part of yeah. the night. I mean, it seems like you know I, I don't have this reported, but it seems like they they drafted him to be a two way player. I would be very surprised if he occupies an NBA roster spot. I don't think he's good enough of a prospect. And I think a lot of times in the 50s nowadays, it's will you, are you willing to be stashed and yes. are you willing to be a two-way player? Uh, if they took him there and he wasn't willing to be stashed, I'd be very surprised. Or not stashed, but two-way. Um, I would I would be pretty surprised. And um, they, they had him I don't in. think he was the 54th best player in this draft. I certainly don't. He – I think I heard Gavoni talking about this somewhere yesterday where he said – they didn't, there was like three or four players who weren't in their top 100 who got drafted. And I, I would assume Shayok is one of them, uh, cause I, I couldn't find him. And yeah, it's exactly like you said. They, I'm sure they went to a few other players and said, oh, well, are you willing to take a two way deal? And I'm sure those players said no. So this is yeah. the guy they, uh, they have there. Yep. Good shooter. Uh, six, six, decent size. That's it. That's really all he does at a, 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 a prospect level. Not a good passer, not great instincts from what I saw. And, you know, I haven't watched. I saw more of him at Virginia than, than I did at Iowa State, and he was more of a bit player with Virginia. So maybe he's grown, but he certainly never struck me as a, a certainly a high IQ player, a great feel for the game player, not great competitive defensively. Like, he's a shooter. I think I think Mike compared him to Furkan Korkmaz a little bit, and I think that might be selling him – a little bit high, to be honest. Um, I think Furkan is probably a more talented player. We'll see. That's all I got. We'll see. Not, I don't have my my sights set too high on a uh, Shyok being a contributor anytime soon. So, well, I don't got all anything right. else. So, asset management. Um, <laughs> so I think a lot of people would listen to the first, you know, fifteen minutes of this podcast and say, "Well, if you like, if you like Matisse Thibel." then you like the draft. And I don't think it's quite that simple. Like I, I saw a lot, well, they got their guy. So as long as he works out, then you're good. And sure, as long as he works out, then you're good. Uh, the problem is I think in this range in the draft, I think, I think Thibel probably has a better than, like if you just went by the stock 24th or in this case, 20th since they traded up selection, he probably has a higher chance of being a role player than most people in that range. In part because you're giving up some upside with him to get a higher floor. 
So I think it's it's higher than normal. But I think when you really focus on this range in the draft, there's you are going to make a lot of mistakes. And players that you were happy about getting on draft night or players that you felt confident on draft night just don't end up working out. And you have to – the only real way to mitigate against this is not to pay extra to get the guy that you want because you have to be honest about the odds of that working out. But to take more chances. And, you know, I think I I think Spike Eskin said this. If we just arbitrarily cut off the first round at the 35th pick instead of the 30th pick, like how differently do we view this draft? I think a lot of people look at it and say, well, second round picks don't work out, so who cares? Well, the, well, the, the top half of the second round is generally much more valuable. There's like, you know, people have done, you know, kind of analytical studies on this and – those top 10 picks in the second round are actually – they're usually contributors who come from there. Yeah. I mean there's a lot of guys who are selected in that range who end up working. I mean Mitchell Robinson to the Knicks last year at 36. Not that you would want a center. But like what's what's his ceiling right now? What's his floor right now? He might be the best prospect – I mean he's the best prospect on the Knicks. Where does he go in a redraft? Even Jalen Brunson, he might end up – he's going to be a contributor in Dallas. Um, You can go back to Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you can go back to Looney was the 30th pick in the draft, so he was right there at the end. Pascal Siakam, Deontay, or Deontay Murray. They were um, late first rounders. Yeah, late first rounders. Brogdon was in that draft. I mean, I mean just look at look at the finals with Draymond, you know, Draymond Green, and like all the second round picks on those two teams. Um, the first couple picks in the second round have some some real value. Like these are not the same. Odds as the 42nd pick. These are certainly not the same odds as the 54th pick. Like these were, there will be one or two players drafted after the Sixers, um, after the 32nd pick in the draft, which will turn into rotation players, maybe even more. And if you hit on one of these selections, if you hit on a Malcolm Brogdon, these kind of hits can change the direction of your franchise. Like they really, really can. And it just seems the more that this front office, the more that this management goes about it, they almost view these picks as burdens rather than opportunity. And look, first of all, trading the 33rd pick, right when that happened, you went, whoa, that's a that's a lot to pay to move up four spots. That's a lot. Like, what's going on here? That's a lot to pay. And you start thinking about what's going on. And, you know, maybe the 42nd pick would have been like a more reasonable trade-up in that scenario. But for a guy who almost all mock drafts had going 24 or later. Like that seemed, it didn't seem, it didn't add up. So, you know, later on, I guess to step back for a second, Fiebel didn't work out for a single team. Like go to a single team's gym and work out. Like obviously people, I think his agent held a workout in the six were at that workout and I'm sure a couple other teams were, but he didn't work out for a single team individually. And everyone in the NBA has been speculating, okay, he's got a promise. Like, Agents don't just cancel workouts, not for late first round picks. Like he's got a promise that he's happy with. Otherwise his agent wouldn't be acting like this. Who is it? And it really came down to two teams. I think two teams were speculated about, and that was the Sixers and that was the Thunder. In part because that's just a, a you know, a, a guy that Presti would target. Athletic, like a, a questionable shooter. Good defender. Like that, that's a, a, a archetype that they need. And with Roberson and the injury and some uncertainty, like there was speculation around that. To my knowledge, there's never been a report actually linking their interest in him. It's just speculation between whether it was the Sixers or the Thunder that gave him that promise. And 
to your credit, you know, you asked a question when, when Thibault was on the conference call. Uh, and he said that he had, because of the Sixers interest, you know, he, you asked him about a promise and he said, because of the Sixers interest, my agent decided to cancel all of my workouts and we trusted that they would uphold their word. So Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN then came out later in the night and said that what, what appears what happened was that the Celtics had sniffed out the Sixers interest, took him at 20 and then ransomed him off to the Sixers and the Sixers had to overpay because of that. And overpaid pretty drastically for a player who, quite frankly, if they had held their cards closer to the vest, if they had handled this pre-draft process better, would have been there at 24. I have almost no doubt about that. Um, I'm very confident from the intel I've received that the Thunder weren't going to take him at 21. I don't think that was a real threat. And most people I talk to around the league, executives around the league, believe he would have been there at 24. And certainly all the mock drafts had him there at 24. So it's it's frustrating as much as it's good that the Sixers got their guy. In Tybal, it's frustrating that they had to give up a, a solid asset. And again, I don't want to say it just had like a 40% chance at a No, it's not that high. But it might be a 10% chance at a start. And if you have two 10% chances at a start, you have a real chance of getting somebody who could help your franchise. And they just, they went in with two of these pretty good picks and walked away with nothing this year for them. And it's, it's frustrating. And I think the six, I think the Sixers realized this. You know, we, there was, Two reports about the Sixers' interest in Cam Johnson that came out a couple days before the draft. And I was like, okay, that's interesting because two reporters had the exact same intel. The exact same intel. And then Cam Johnson ends up going 11. And all of a sudden, same two reporters had the exact same report now about Nasir Little and Kevin Porter Jr. Well, that's interesting. And I start talking. I talk to other reporters. And I talk to someone like, this seems a little odd, doesn't it? That this information is getting out. Like, why, why, why would this be getting out? He's like, yeah, well, I've, I've heard, you know, that I've heard the Sixers have had interest in Kevin Porter Jr. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've heard that too. But my question, I'm not questioning whether or not people have actually heard the Sixers have interest in it. I'm, I'm questioning why we're hearing that the Sixers have interest in this. You know, if one person has, one reporter has intel. Okay. Maybe he has the right sources at the right time. He asked the right questions, was able to dig for the right thing. Uh, maybe he knows the right agent or the right exec on another team who heard something. If four reporters hear the exact same thing, it's because they want that information out. So why do they want that information out? And it was pretty clearly because they knew that they got got that other, they were worried about other teams sniffing out their interest and they wanted some competing information out there. And it's just. They needed to handle this lead up to that, that draft better. They, in my mind, basically gave away a 33rd pick in the draft because they failed to do that. And it's just, is it a big deal that they lost a 33rd pick for essentially nothing for a guy who should have been there at 24? Probably not. It might end up hurting them, but probably, maybe not. Is it a huge deal that they sold the 34th pick for two second round picks in the future and 57 who they ended up selling anyway? Probably not. Like, I don't think either, either of those picks, like, the odds of either of those picks being the fourth best pick in the second round probably aren't great. Probably not. The Atlanta pick is probably going to be... It could be good. Yeah, it could be good. Not bad. Uh, maybe not in the draft this strong. But, uh, like, especially in the second round where the first five or so picks are really valuable, the next maybe six or seven are somewhat valuable, and then they're kind of worthless. Like, a, a little bit of positional certainty is worth a lot for me. So I, I still don't necessarily like that trade. But... Like I said, does losing either of them really matter? Maybe not. But to me, what it, it the way these this when you start thinking about it, and Pesechniks drafted at twenty five because he's not going to play in the NBA right away, and quite frankly, probably never. 
but just because they don't want to use a roster spot for that. And then you have the 31st pick, which they traded this year for Trevor Booker, and a 33rd pick, which they lost because uh, the Celtics sniffed them out, and a 34th pick because they didn't want to add another roster spot, another rookie on a roster spot. And it's just like neither instance is really a massive problem, but it's like the way I compared it, I have Amazon Prime. I love Amazon Prime. Free two-day shipping. You get the videos. I buy a lot of stuff on Amazon. The Sixers operate like a team that are so impatient, and they zero in on a guy that they want. They're like, you know what? Fuck it. Just give me the, spend the $4, get the overnight shipping. I want it now. And doing that once doesn't matter. Like I can afford $4, but you look up at the end of the year and you've got $400 in Amazon prime shipping just because you're impatient or you need to get your guy or your thing or your, it, it's just, you, you overpay enough times and eventually it's going to come back to bite you. And it just feels like that's what this team is doing, whether it's disregarding late first round picks and possessioniks and these three picks they could have had here in the top four of the second round. Or whether that's, you know, including one or two extra assets in the Tobias Harris trade or it's just wait, being this wasteful. It, it worries me that they're going to, it's going to come back and bite them. Yeah. It, to me, it's, it's very disappointing. Very disappointing. Yeah. The, uh, I just think with, with Thibault, again, it, it's great that you trust your scouting, but it, it does seem like when you lock in on a player at this point of the draft in the twenties, um, it's a da- I feel like that can be dangerous. Uh, it's I not- think it can be dangerous because you. It, it, I think a little bit of humility at this point of the draft is really important. It, you're not going to get every pick right. And I, again, I like I like Tybal. Like I don't I don't dislike the. Is it selection. is it Tybal or Thibel? I don't know. I've said both in this podcast. Um, I don't dislike what they've done from a scouting perspective this year or last year. I dislike what they're doing from an asset management perspective. Um, it, I mean, and to to be honest, like if if Thibault is a starter, people are probably going to forget this uh, in the long run. And I mean, to to be clear, like yeah, I mean that would be that would be great, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about it less. It's kind of just natural, but yeah, it, it just seems like to me, 33 and 34, it, it would be nice. Take one swing there, seriously. Yeah. I, and again, like, I, I don't want to hear, I, I know a lot of people wanted Carson Edwards. Um, I, I, I don't pretend it, just like Thibault, I don't pretend to know what, what that guy is going to be able to do in the NBA. Um, it, you know, it's like he would have been perfect for the Sixers. I, I hear that every year for different players and a lot of them fizzle out pretty quickly. So, you know, it's, it, it, and I also don't want to hear from the other end of the spectrum. Oh, this was such a weak draft. Uh, this, you just can't get players at, at that, or the, the second round picks this year would have been closer to undrafted. I, I just think like it's always, uh, I think Mike Schmidt said this. It's like, it's a weak draft until it isn't. And I, I kind of think back to, uh, what was it? 2013 when the, the lottery was pretty bad. It was the Anthony Bennett was the number yep. one pick that year. But then of course, and the lottery was really terrible, but, you had, uh, I think you had Oladipo did go second, but then you had Giannis go 15th or whatever it was to the Bucks, and then you had Rudy Gobert go 27th. So it, it just feels like every year there are going to be guys that kind of break through and overperform their, uh, their pre-draft projection. I, yeah. So I, I would just say like, especially with the, the way second round picks their, their contracts, they're, they're not, you're not tied to that money for as long as the first round pick. I, to me, I I don't really see the benefit of not just taking one swing. I, I get it. Fine. If you 
feel like there's too many players that you're developing and you're, you're an older team. I, I feel like you would have room for one more at, at that spot. And then of course they sell 42 and then sell, or what did they trade Jordan Bone for again? I'm, I'm kind of blanking, but they, I think that money. it was money. I think it was, it was like two mil. Yeah. Um, and then they take Shayok as a, as a two way guy. It just seems like with the draft, when you have, you know, three picks from 24 to 34 to, and then additional, additional second rounders as well to come away with one guy in the rotation. It just feels like there's way too much riding on Matisse Thibel. Yep. That's the exact way I would put it. You know, and I think the, the, the explanation they gave is, well, first of all, you know, Elton Brand was talking about cap flexibility. Yeah, not really. Um, especially because you had, first of all, unsigned second round draft picks don't count against your cap. So you're not getting any, any flexibility there. Like you gain a million dollars by trading the 42nd pick along with Jonathan Simmons. Uh, but you could stretch that to only a th- uh, $333,000 cap hit. So you're not gaining that much. And that, that little bit that you're gaining and look, stretching that would have come into some cap comp consequences in future years when you're coming up against the apron, like 333k is nothing, but it, it's, 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 I mean, it's very little, but it, it I guess it's going to help a little bit, but you ended up losing $380,000 in cap space because you had to trade up from 24 to 20 anyway. So your, your end up net effect of this draft is you actually have a slightly larger cap hit now than you did before all of these moves. And again, if you would have played your pre-draft process better, you don't have to incur that $380,000 cap hit by trading up to 20 anyway. So I don't really look at this as like a grand maneuvering for the salary cap. Um, the other explanation Elton Brand gave is that look, you can only have, you can't, you can't add five rookies to a, a championship roster. And I don't think anyone is asking for them to add five rookies. How about but, two? You know, two or three. And I, I don't want to hear Shyak as your second. Like he's not, he's not, he's not playing full meaningful minutes. Two. Maybe three, like maybe 24, 33, and 34. Like I said, those are all such reasonable gambles at finding a, a contributor. I'd like to take all three. Uh, I don't think this is a team right now. You know, you look at the roster spots and you've got, let's assume right now that, um, Shake is on a two way. He might not be. Like there are reasons you might want to either convert him or negotiate a contract. Mostly. I, I would hope that they convert him to a contract at this point because that, I, I mean, just, just, Adding more roster spots of like veteran castoffs, like with like Greg Monroe types, I would, right. I would hope you would, you feel strongly enough about Shake that, you know, you could take a swing on another guy on a two way. And that, I'm not saying that would make last night better, but, but it would, it would be a little more understandable if you're saying, well, we do want Shake to take up a roster spot next year. Yeah. I think, I think the way I would go is I would head in the season and part of this is like, First of all, I think if you have extra money, whether that's in the room mid-level or the non-taxpayer mid-level or whatever, like let's say you have an extra $2 million, maybe negotiate a four-year contract with Shake. That might be the preferred outcome. But if that's not an option, uh, then maybe go start the season with him on a two-way, use up your 45 days, get to know him a little better, and then maybe negotiate a long-term contract. And at the worst case, then convert the, the contract because you then can keep him on the playoff roster. Um, so I think those are sort of the three options. I don't think if you're not going to negotiate a long-term deal, I don't think you have to make him use up a roster spot right now. Cause well, I mean, at that point, just let him 
use the 45 days or whatever it is that he can be in the G League and try out somebody else, which is part of what would have made a second round selection there worthwhile. But going back to it, if they want, they can have Shake on a two-way. They can have Shyak on a two-way. They're not using up your 15 roster spots. Um, I don't consider at this point Embiid and Simmons as young players you're developing. Like, they're your franchise. So your, your young players are really only Jonah Bolden, Zaire Smith, and um, Matisse Seibel. So you're only really using, you, know, you then have your two core pieces, maybe the, the two pieces you're bringing back. Um, but the point is, if you have 12 roster spots to use, you can get your veterans in. Like they're not, they're not in a spot where they don't have roster spots to add a backup point guard or a backup center. Like you have those roster spots. You would have those roster spots if you use two more draft picks. Teams don't go more than, like, especially because Thibel and Zaire, I think are going to be contributors this year. Like teams don't go more than 10 deep, like of, of regular contributors. You had a couple more spots you could have developed. Um, I think, I think a lot of people look at this as, just ownership selling draft picks for money. And I think certainly like I think billionaires like millions of dollars. I don't think that's breaking any news. But I also think that management could make a case like, look, we really believe that this guy who could be there at 33 or 34 could end up being a contributor. Let's not sell this pick. Uh, let's bring him on. And I don't think Josh Harris would say no. So I think it's a whole organizational devaluing of second round draft picks. I really do. I think it's Clearly, Josh Harris and company wouldn't mind money, especially with the tax bill coming up. But also, I think Brett Brown might be at his rope's end in terms of players who aren't ready. And management right now is like, yeah, they're second round picks. We need we need veterans. I think all three of the arms of this organization right now could value, especially these high second round draft picks and these late first round draft picks. I think they're not valuing them appropriately. I mean, play them in the the D League, if not, you know, if Brett, if Brett doesn't want to develop them, that's that's G League. You got to get Gatorade that money, Rich. Sorry, G League, NBA. If you're listening, we apologize. Put them in the G League. Uh, but but there are other ways to develop these guys. And hey, if you draft a guy who's a four year senior, you never know. He might actually be ready to contribute right away. So yeah, that's I don't know. That's annoying. That it is. All right. Um. Any other strong takes you want to get out there? Any other opinions, thoughts as we head into free agency, thoughts on the draft, thoughts on the spread they had at draft night, uh, anything, really anything. Spread was pretty good. Good for them. It's pretty good. Uh, Popcorn could have been better. Popcorn had no taste. Yeah. Very disappointing. rest of the food was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, free agency coming up. That's the big one. Yep. Uh, what is it? I think – and then you have Vegas after that. You'll have the Vegas practices – I think start on July 1st. Uh, so that's coming up relatively soon. We'll get to see some, some thigh bowl in action. Shake more excited Shake than Shake any player playing. ever to play summer league. So that'll be good. Uh, I think Zaire said he was going to play at exit interviews. So yeah, I assume he'll play. Yeah. So it'll be a, it'll be a decent team they have. The Sixers summer league teams usually stink outside of that one, uh, one year in Orlando, Orlando year. that they won, yep. but. Pappy Jack ain't walking through that door or, uh, <laughs> or whoever it was. Casper Ware. Can you imagine? Sorry. Can you imagine if this team really did draft Kevin Porter Jr.? I didn't, I didn't think that was going to happen for a second. Like for a team that couldn't stop talking about, um, it just didn't, couldn't stop talking about immediate contributors and, and wing defenders. Like Kevin Porter Jr. is so far away from being that he would have been entertaining from our perspective, talented. 
Um, but I didn't, I didn't, and, and truth be told, if they really wanted him, if they were locked in on him, they could have traded up from 34 and gotten him anyway. So just didn't fit their timeline. Yeah. Didn't fit their timeline. Didn't fit what I think they want out of their prospects. Um, I would have been very surprised. And he's, he's an entertaining kid and he, he might end up being a steal, but I didn't, just didn't seem like that's where they were going. Yeah. When you see somebody like Thibault and then the Sixers taking him and then the Cavs taking someone like Porter. That makes more sense. It would have made more sense to take someone like Porter early in the process uh, because yep. he has higher upside. But, yeah, he's uh, he's a ways away if that's ever going to happen, though. All right. Uh, I think that's about all we have. It's all we need to do since we just did an hour and 50-minute podcast or what it, whatever it was on Wednesday. So thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. All right, man. Check is life for death, breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke, a Buddha through righteous steps.